You're listening to the Forefront Church Sermon Podcast. Forefront Church is a progressive Christian community more interested in asking good questions than having all the right answers. Thanks for listening. Forefront Church, I'm here, I'm back, I'm preaching for like the first time in two months and I feel I feel a little rusty. I hope that's okay with y'all. I'm a little rusty, I hope it's like riding a bike. But today's going to be a little more story-centric, so I don't know, I'm easing myself back in a little bit. And, uh, and so I want to tell you a little story about my time off, right? Because be, during my time off, as, as some of us do when we have uh, a good chunk of time off, I started wondering about who I am. Who am I? What is it that I care deeply about? You know, the small questions, the little things. And I started thinking about the things I care deeply about right now. What are the things that keep me up at night? What are the things that I want to see change in? What are, what are those things? And I started thinking about immigration, right? I, I want to see change in immigration. I want us to be more generous. I, I don't want us to separate families at the border, obviously, right? We, we need to do better. How can our church do better? I started thinking about that. I started thinking about my, my BIPOC siblings, my black siblings, indigenous siblings, my siblings of color. And I, I was thinking about the fact that I have an easier time in life than they do, right? And that's not fair. I have an easier time finding success. I have an easier time flourishing. How do we change that? How do we create equity? How do we create flourishing for our BIPOC siblings? I started thinking about policy and voting. And it was interesting because I was like, I care so much about policy and voting right now. And it doesn't feel all that quote unquote Christian to me. And yet I say all the time, well, the politics of Jesus. And so we're not about candidates. We're about policies that we believe will bring the flourishing and equity we talked about, right? And so I want to vote for those policies. I care about that. I care about our climate. I see what's happening out west right now and the fires and the devastation. And I know that our climate, uh, our broken climate has contributed to that. We know this. And so for me, I'm like, oh, I care about this. It keeps me up. I want to see it changed. I want to see it different. And yet none of those things feel traditionally Christian, right? None of them feel traditionally Christian. In fact, when I think about them, I I almost feel like, well, can I just be, can't we just be any other organization in Brooklyn doing that good social work? Maybe that's all we are. And uh, back in May, we did a survey. About 200 of you filled this survey out. And some of you came up with that same idea or had that same theme. You know, what makes us different than any organization? If we're a church, maybe the focus should be a little bit more on our spiritual selves rather than on our social climate, right? Maybe, maybe that should be the case because right now we just feel like this social organization And I feel a little bit of that too. I get that too. I mean, we've been preaching on communal organizing for the past few months. You know, what makes us a church? What makes me want to be a part of a church? What makes me uh, want to follow Jesus Christ? And so as I try to mesh what I believe and the things I care deeply about, I find myself going back to scripture over and over again. And what I want to do in this coming series is, is I want to point to scripture. And I want to look through and try to respond to some of those thoughts I think many of us have. Why are we a church? Why are we doing this social work? And and how are we still a church? And where does God fit into all of it? And so for the next five weeks, we're going to talk about the fact that cultivating a deep spiritual life in Jesus Christ actually contributes to the goodness of changing immigration policy and bringing flourishing for our BIPOC siblings and climate change and LGBTQIA inclusion and all of the rest. I want us to have a robust spiritual, 
robust spiritual growth that I believe contributes to those things. That's what makes us a church. And so we're going to spend the next few weeks talking about the fruits of the Spirit. Raise your hand out there or leave a comment or whatever. If you know about the fruits of the Spirit, maybe you know them like I know them, where your Sunday school teacher dressed up as a fruit, like they showed up as like a grape and they're like, I'm the fruit of the Spirit. I'm joy. And it's fantastic. I promise I won't do that. Actually, I don't promise. I may dress up as a fruit. But, uh, but no, I mean, maybe that's how some of us know about the fruits of the Spirit. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm interested in asking the question, responding to the question, how is it that deep spiritual growth contributes to the way that we create social change? And here's the thing. Today, I'm not even going to talk about the fruits of the Spirit. Today, I want to connect and mesh deep spiritual growth with social change. And I was reading this book while I was on break, and the book is called What is the Bible? And it's a great book, easy read. Y'all should pick it up. Uh, maybe our Bib Lit uh, group would be interested in reading that next. I don't know. Um, and, and I came across a passage that was mentioned in this book, and I'm going to read it for us. It comes from the book of Ephesians, and it says this. It says, God made known to us the mystery of God's will according to God's good pleasure, which God purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. And I read this, and I gotta be honest, y'all, it felt like really, really good news to me. It felt like really good news. And yet, I've read this passage before. In fact, I've read this passage tens of times, and it doesn't necessarily feel like good news every time. In fact, I kind of gloss over it, right? I mean, you start off with the mystery, the idea of mystery, and so much of Christianity is a mystery. And you kind of want to be like, I that doesn't feel concrete at all, and I'm just gonna put that aside for right now. But as Sarah New showed us last week in her message, there's some real beauty about tackling scripture that we might not grasp or quite understand, right? So let's ask some good questions. Let's kind of wrestle with this and figure it out together. I could tell you kind of what I'm thinking. I want to hear a little bit of what you're thinking along the way. I'd love that. So I read this. And the first thing that comes to mind is why. Why is it that God sends Jesus? Why is it that, that, that God wants, wants beauty and goodness and unity, all the things that God talks about. Why? And the answer is really, really clear. This feels really clear to me, and it's kind of funny, that the thing, the reason that God wants to see unity through Jesus Christ of all things is for God's pleasure, for God's pleasure. God is a pleasure hound. How many of you, <laughs> when you think of God, Think of God as being a pleasure hound. Or how many of you think of pleasure as the thing that comes first? Not me. Not me. I think early on in my deconstruction phase, I would have told you that I see God as angry or wrathful, right? Maybe that's how the first way I would describe God, maybe being a bit afraid of God. Or I might describe God as just. Oh, God's just. He wants justice. Or God wants justice. Notice I said he, he wants justice. I would have said that at some point, right? And now I say, well, God's the infinite and unimaginable, right? God has no gender. God's the infinite and unimaginable. We, we can't quite grasp God. But scripture says right here, God does what God does for God's pleasure. And God is a pleasure hound. And it makes me think, you know, as human beings, we spend so much of our time wrestling with pleasure, right? If something is too pleasurable for us, we say, oh, it must be sinful. It's too pleasurable, and I'm putting it before God, and so I probably should pull back on this pleasure that I have. And then when something is not very pleasurable at all, we say, huh, I am selfless before God, and I'm denying myself so that God can increase, and it's wonderful. We spend so much time kind of fighting pleasure. 
And meanwhile, we have this God, and Scripture tells us that God wants nothing more than pleasure. Let that be a lesson to us, okay? Just a little aside there. But, but where, what does God find pleasure in? God finds pleasure in bringing unity in all things through Jesus Christ. God finds pleasure in bringing unity through all things in Jesus Christ. Unity is a big word. We use it a lot. I love the word unity, right? What does it mean? Well, it's, it means coming together under one head. That's kind of boring, right? Coming together under one head. That's what Scripture is showing us here. Yeah, I want all to come together under Jesus Christ. Great. But then there's this other like translation that I love, and this translation says that unity is restoration and retelling. Restoration and retelling. So basically, what brings God the most pleasure? The thing that brings God the most pleasure is the restoration of all humanity and then retelling that story. So, so like redemption, like re retelling a redeeming story. That makes sense, right? I kind of like that idea. The thing that brings God pleasure is the restoration and then the retelling of a story. The restoration and retelling of a story. That, that feels good to me. Now, here's the deal with that. When I think about restoration and retelling of a story, my story, your story, our story, social stories that are going on right now, I think what we want to do when we think about the restoration and retelling is we want to leave out the nasty parts. Like get rid of the unfortunate parts of the retelling. Get rid of the really difficult or hard parts or the sad parts or the parts that still to this day make us angry. Get, get rid of those parts. Now there's a real problem when we restore and retell and we get rid of the really hard parts. You see, the problem is we don't learn from that. Nothing good comes from that. Nothing is redeemed by that. In fact, my generation, right, there's a generation of people that look like me that don't believe we have a problem with racism. Why? Because when we were in school, we were told that there was this beautiful civil rights movement led by MLK, who was a wonderful man for all, and everybody cared deeply about it. And we solved racism then, right? We left out all the tough parts, the bad parts, the parts that are still happening today. And so right now, for white folks like myself in America, it's easier for some of us to believe in QAnon than, is, than it is for us to understand that we have a problem with racism because we didn't restore and retell a story the right way. We have to restore and retell in order to bring unity, right? This is what brings God pleasure. So we talk about the nasty parts, the difficult parts, the hard parts. And so as a former teacher, I'm gonna do what former teachers do, and I'm gonna model for you a story, okay? So I'm, I feel like I'm taking a little bit of a left turn here, and I am, but you know, bear with me. I'll make it a good story, I hope so anyway. And here's how this story goes. I wanna show you what, what restoration retelling looks like. My wife and I, we were married for six weeks, six weeks. Newlyweds, fantastic, right? And I'm a big snowboarder, or at least I was a big snowboarder. I loved it, and I wanted my wife to snowboard with me. My wife's name is Juby, and I wanted Juby to come snowboard, and so I said, Juby, let's go snowboarding. So we flew out to Colorado, and we fly out there, and it's Juby's first time snowboarding. And, um, and we, we go to this mountain, and it's giant, and it's beautiful, and if you've ever snowboarded before, you know that your first time is really hard, right? It sucks, you're on your butt all the time, you're falling, you're catching edges, you're hurting, you're sore. And that was no different with Juby. And so I was like, Jube, how you doing? She's like, this kind of sucks. And I was like, oh, it'll be okay, you know? And I said, hey, let's go to the top of the mountain. And she was like, no. And I was like, yeah. And, and so she relented, we went to the top of the mountain. Now, he, here's the deal, it was four o'clock. I knew it would take us about an hour to get down the mountain, if you're a good snowboarder. 
And the mountain closed at 5.30, right? Kind of cutting it close, but, but you know what? I, I felt confident. I felt confident. And so we, we go to the top of this mountain. And sure enough, Juby starts falling. And so I did what any good husband does. And I said to Juby, Juby, you have no confidence. And if you just had confidence, you'd be able to snowboard down this mountain. Buck up, suck it up, and get back up. Right? That's what good husbands do. And uh, a few choice words came my way. And a little bit of yelling, a little bit of crying. Next thing I know, Juby takes the snowboard off. And she says, forget this. I'm done with it. She starts walking down the hill, snowboard in hand. And I'm like, what are you doing? Just have confidence. Put the snowboard back on. She's like, no, I hate you. And it's getting darker, right? And it's getting, uh, you know, icier. And the mountain's about to close. And all of a sudden, Juby slips. And she slips. And the snowboard goes down the hill. And the snowboard that went down the hill without her is a snowboard that I signed a waiver on. And the waiver said that if I lose the snowboard, I'm going to pay for the full price of the snowboard. And we were newly married and we were students and we made zero dollars and we scraped together money just to go on this trip. And I looked at my wife who was now crying on the mountain and I looked at the snowboard going down the hill and I did the, what any good husband would do. I, I took off after the snowboard because we had no money and I didn't want to pay for that thing. So I take off after it, flying down, looking for this you know, loose snowboard that's out there in the world. I never find it. I get all the way down the mountain. By this time, the mountain is about to close. I go to ski patrol. I say, hey, I lost a snowboard. Oh, and by the way, I lost my wife as well. She's up top. She's got no, no skis, no snowboard. Can you go get her? And I got yelled at. They were like, what are you doing? What were you thinking? I was like, I know. I'm, I'm sorry. And then I wait. And it's getting darker. I wait for an hour, hour and a half maybe two hours, and all of a sudden, in the distance, I see a snowmobile coming down the mountain, and I can just make out Juby on the back of the snowmobile. And I'm like relieved, and I'm thankful, and I'm like, oh, thank God, and the snowmobile comes up, and it stops, and I, I run over there, and, and Juby looks at me, and she's still crying. And she gets off the snowmobile, and I say, are you okay, is everything all right? And she looks and she gives me the finger. And you all know which finger she gave me. And she walked right by me. And then the ski patrol person was like, I never did find that snowboard. And so then I went in and I wrote out a check for that snowboard, gave it in, walked to the car where Juby already was and she was crying. It was a silent car ride home. Juby crying the whole way. And then all of a sudden she spoke and she said, I will never ever laugh about this ever and I will never forgive you for this ever and I was I was like oh ooh, this is this is not a good start to our marriage not at all this is a terrible start and here we are 16 years later we tell this story at dinner parties constantly why do we tell this story at dinner parties constantly because it's a funny story it's a funny story, and not only is it a funny story, we tell the story to newly partnered people, people with new partners. We're like, hey, new partnered person, a couple things you might not want to do. Or sometimes there are newly partnered people who come to us and they say, hey, we're struggling. And I'll say, well, in your struggle, here's what's not, here's what you shouldn't do, right? Like, don't do this thing. You see, this story for us, this story that on that day caused great pain and great hurt and made me think that we might not make it has become a story that makes us laugh. It brings joy. It brings help to others. And we do it because it's been restored and retold.
And here's the thing about the retelling. In the retelling, we tell the bad parts. In fact, we embellish the bad parts a little bit. Not this time, I promise, I didn't. I told it as is. But sometimes we embellish the bad parts. Why? Because the bad parts, right, when you retell it, those are the parts that get redeemed. Those are the parts that, that actually you're like, whoa, that thing that felt this way at this time now brings joy. What brought pain now brings life. What, what once brought like sadness now brings healing. And what, what, what once brought, you know, tears now brings laughter, right? It, it, it's everything's changed. And that, that is what we're talking about in this passage. You want to know what brings unity, what brings Jesus or what brings God pleasure, the thing that brings God pleasure is the story restored and retold. It's renewed. What does this have to do with our church? I absolutely believe, I absolutely believe that our church, in the way we're working towards voting rights, in the way we're working with the politics of Jesus and anti-racist initiatives and LGBTQIA inclusion and, and all those social quote-unquote uh, uh, things that we've created and put, put our weight behind, all of those things are absolutely necessary. They are spiritual. They matter in the church. And why do they matter in the church? Because we believe that our work in all those things is God restoring those things so that we have a story that we can retell, so that that story can be redeemed, so that story is something that can be celebrated instead of something that brings division and hurt and pain right now. You see, we're not just any other org. We are in the business of bringing God pleasure through restoration and retelling. That is what we are in the business of doing. And so, so I wanna go back to those things that feel a little bit like social constructs. And I wanna go back and I want us to reimagine I want us to reimagine the way we feel now, and I want us to imagine what it could look like later. And I gotta be honest, right? I had a nice rest. I feel like I have more energy, but this is a really hard season. In fact, I dare say this is a top three most difficult season in my whole life. I don't like it right now. I just don't like the way life is going right now, okay? And we could sit down and talk about that if y'all want to. But I have to imagine have to imagine that the things that are happening in this world, the things that are bringing division and anger and stoking fear and paranoia in me right now, I have to imagine they're being restored and redeemed. And I have to imagine that God is using me to restore and redeem them. And I have to imagine that there's a new story that we are going to tell. And it's a story where we're not talking about anger and hurt and inequities, but a story where we say, you know, can you believe that at one point in our history, there were groups of people who didn't have the same access to flourishing as others? I can't ever believe that existed or that even happened. Uh, that is the restoration and retelling I look forward to. And maybe it doesn't come in my lifetime, but maybe one day my kids tell that story. And I think about people who are excluded because of their identity or orientation. And I think about my own children already and the fact that my own children already today are like, you know, so-and-so told us about the fact that they just came out and we're so excited for them. And I can't believe anybody would be angry for them. That's so sad. And already my kids are telling a story that says you are loved, you are included, you are affirmed in God. Already that story is being redeemed and we're retelling it in such a way where it brings joy. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine where we have a completely different immigration policy, where we welcome in the foreigner with open arms, ready to bring equity to their lives. Can you imagine that story? You see, we're not just some other org. We are in the business of bringing pleasure to God. We are aiding God and being a pleasure hound. Interesting, right?
And now I'm going to say something that feels a little cheesy, but I believe it, and I believe it right now. Not only is God restoring and redeeming some of these social stories, these communal stories, I think God is restoring and redeeming our story too. And I think that's true. And you might be like, Jonathan, this is like what everybody preaches. And yeah, it is what everybody preaches. And today, today I absolutely believe it. So I think about the way I feel. The fact that this is one, maybe one of the top three toughest times in my life. And normally it's really, really easy for me to wake up and go, okay, what's, what's going on here? And what I'm practicing is this practice of saying, not what's going on here and oh, I feel miserable, but okay, I wake up today and how is God renewing me? How is God restoring me? And what story can I look forward to telling for God's pleasure? How is that happening? Now, I don't want to discount anything or anybody because there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of pain in our lives right now. There's so much sadness right now. There are parts of us that, that feel subhuman. There are parts of us that feel like we can never face either some of the things that we did or some of the things that were done to us. And the actual thought of God like retelling, rewriting, restoring our story so that we could tell it again, it feels almost impossible. About 15 years ago, I had a mentor, and the mentor said to me, uh, said to me, Jonathan, how you doing? I said, you know what? I don't believe in God right now, and I don't believe God's at work in anybody's life. And this mentor said to me, he said, okay, then I'll believe it for you. And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, I'll believe it for you. I'm going to make it happen for you. I'm going to will it for you. I'm, I'm going to do that for you. I'm going to believe that God's at work in your life. And so here's what I see in you right now. And then this person proceeded to tell me everything they saw in me in the way that God was working in my life, restoring things, moving things. And I was like, okay, what? okay, maybe, maybe I can tell a story. Maybe there is something different going on. And right now there are some of you who are like, I don't know if God exists. I don't know if God's working in my life. It certainly doesn't feel that way because nothing is working in 2020. And I hear you. And that's okay. And if you feel like that, you're in a perfect spot. The church is this perfect spot for you to be. You know why? Because there are others in this community today who are going to believe in the restoration and the retelling for you. There are others here today in this church community that are going to stand by you and they're going to say, you might not believe it, but here's what I see in you. And here's what I believe in you. And here's what God is up to in you. And here's the story that I can imagine you retelling sooner rather than later, right? Maybe you don't believe it. Let others believe it for you. You want to know why we're a church and not just some other org? Because there is a community that when you don't believe, others believe. And when you can't see the goodness in yourself, others see the goodness of yourself. And you can't, when you can't see what God is up to in your life, others can see what God is up to in your life. That is what makes us a church. That's what makes us a church community. That is the good news of the restoration and unity to all things. And you might be going, you know what? Not for me, not for this particular thing, not for this pain I'm experiencing. And it brings me back to the Greek. You know what all things in the Greek is in this passage? It's this word pause. You know what the word pause means? It literally means all things. Did you say I was going to say, think, did you think I was going to say something else? No, all things. It's not some things or just Jewish things or just things in first century Rome. All things. So whatever it is, whatever it is that you have in your soul, in your life right now, all things. It's being restored. It's being renewed. And when you don't believe it, this church community comes together to believe it for you. And so this week, here's what I want you to do. 
I want you to imagine, I want you to imagine that God is really and truly at work right now, restoring, renewing, and giving you a story to retell. That thing, you know, the, the broken snowboard and the, like the, the, all the bad stuff that goes down, that stuff that just feels like you're never going to laugh about it and you're never going to forgive it, what's that thing that you are going to laugh about? What's the thing that you are going to forgive? What's the thing that will change? What's the story that will be redeemed? Imagine that it's happening to you right now. And when you're scrolling on your social media app and you're like, oh my God, the world is going to hell in a handbasket and I can't handle it. I wonder if we could change that mindset and instead we can say, oh, this is hard. But God is putting me to work to restore, renew, and retell right now. And that's the good work I'm going to do here in this church community. And when you don't believe, there's someone there to believe for you. And when that person is there and they don't believe, well, then you come around and you get to believe for them. That's the beauty of community. That's the beauty of bringing God's kingdom to this place. And it's good news. And so here's the good news I want to share with us today. We are, we are unified in Jesus Christ. And we're not some political or social organization. We are a church. And what we do as a church is we are pleasure hounds with God, bringing restoration, renewal, and retelling to absolutely everything. And to that I say, amen and amen. Will you pray with me? God, to you who does exceedingly abundantly more than we can ever ask or imagine, who's renewing the worst parts of us as we speak, to you, God, give us the courage and the strength to believe that's true. Give others in our community the courage and the strength to believe it for us. And let us not grow tired and weary of doing incredible work, but God, give us the energy to bring flourishing, equity, and renewal in every place it's needed, even if it doesn't feel very Christian to us. We pray this all in your name. Thanks for listening to the Forefront Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Forefront and how we're ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity, visit ForefrontChurch.com.